Welcome to the Phil Pringle Podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. And so there are issues, there are points in all the great heroes of the Bible and the great heroes of church history where you find they will refer to a a moment where God met with them, like Jacob wrestling with God all night long over an issue. Where you you hear of people who are holding on to something. C.T. Studd was a great cricketer. And uh, he had to give it all up and his wealth and became a missionary and an enormous man of prayer. You read through all these historical people who have achieved something great. There was a point at which they needed to yield and stop the fight. The greatest example would be Paul of Tarsus. And when God meets him on the road to Damascus and says to him, Paul, Paul, Saul, actually calls him Saul at that stage. Why are you persecuting me? It's so hard for you to kick against the goads on the inside of you. Saul was constantly at war on the inside of himself with God, even though he was a religious person. And here's the point. We step over a line, and sometimes it's a challenging line to step over, to say, I receive Christ as my Savior. Thank you, Lord, you saved me. That's so awesome. I'm saved. I've got joy. I'm set free. Okay. And then he says, hey, 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 come back. I'd like you to step over another line where you make me Lord, where I'm not just your Savior, your Rescuer, your Healer, your Deliverer, the one who fixes your world up, but I'm the one who actually leads you, who has the rule over your life. Now, we live in a generation that does not like this idea at all. This is a do-your-own-thing generation. Follow your dream. What's in your heart? That's what you've got to do. It's the kind of, you know, like uh, stroke the rebel on the inside and go against what everybody says, drop out, and, and just do your own thing, baby. And, uh, and you've got a lot of lonely, isolated people who are struggling in life, just trying to run their own business or follow their own dream, living in poverty sometimes, taking an, a whole family with them sometimes. Just for that, that moment. But here, it, here is God saying, hey, maybe if we could yield on this issue, whatever the issue is that we're fighting with, we could find that he's the Lord of our life. And Saul, Saul is fighting God. I mean, I take great encouragement from this fact that here's this guy, deeply religious, way more religious than just about anybody in this room. And yet he's still fighting God. He's struggling with God. God is saying, these Christians are good people. These, these, these are good. He says, oh, I'm so upset with them. He could see God in every one of their faces. The same God he was fighting inside his head. So the war within was manifesting in the war without. And for most people, that's how it works. James says, why you got strife among you? Because of the wars within. You're at strife with yourself. And the strife on the inside sometimes is a wrestling with our conscience, with God. And he's waiting for us to yield to him. The Lord, the Lord, is, the Lord Jesus, you know, we, we say that word kind of easily. Oh, the Lord. Now I've got the Lord in my life. Got, well, let's just have a look at what the Lord is. It's, it's not a consultant, okay? Jesus is not a consultant. He's not a coach. He's not an advisor. He's not a mentor, a consultant or a counselor. But actually, he is God. He's the Lord of everything there is in the world. Acts 2 verse 36, God made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. 
The word, the word Lord comes from a Greek word, kurios. It's equivalent to the Old Testament word Jehovah, Yahweh. It means possessor, owner, master of property, of persons, of servants, of slaves, having absolute authority over them, the master or the head of a house, the supreme Lord, the sovereign of the universe. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He has been given the entire authority throughout an endless universe for all time and eternity. He is legally entitled to it because the God of all creation has given it to him. He has the power to give eternal life to people. He has the power to forgive everyone's sins when they come to him. He has a kingdom that lasts forever and ever, and he sits at the right hand of the throne of God, the seat of all power, the origin of all power. He has all power in heaven and in the earth encompassing the entire universe. He is the sole universal monarch. He is the Lord of all, Acts 10.36 says. He has the power of dominion over all the angels. They're all his servants. He alone has the power of intercession with his Father to mediate between us and God. He is in all causes and over all persons, the supreme governor. By him, all kings in the earth reign. He is called the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is the only sovereign, 1 Timothy 6.15 says. He is the Lord of all, and he is the Lord of both the dead and the living. In all things, God has given him the preeminence, and he is the head of the church. This is Jesus. Amen. The Lord of all heaven and earth. (laughs) So to surrender to that lordship is to stop resisting an opponent and submit to their authority. You need to know that what God wants for your life, though, is beautiful because He is love. God is nothing but love. The reason He is challenging you on an issue is because He's wanting to bring you into the best life that is possible for you. But there's a piece of us that doesn't want to submit to that Lordship of Christ. And there are processes that He has every one of us in that are going to bring us into that best life. The Bible says, he, ha- he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. It also says we are his workmanship. So God is like a sculptor. And I've found the process is as much about elimination as it is about addition. So there's stuff in my life that he's chipping away at, scouring it out. And throughout the Bible, you'll find images of how God is at work in each one of our lives. There is nothing that you will find yourself going through that is painful, that doesn't have a purpose when God is involved. Because the elimination of a person or a a part or a possession in our life can be painful. And then we find ourselves on the other side of that richer. For some reason, as you go through darkness, you find treasures. Isaiah speaks of the treasures of darkness. But there are things that you've prayed that God is answering. You said, I went down to that white flag service, and I said, I surrender all. You're crazy. Why did you say that? Amen. How'd you let that preacher get you to say that? Because now God says, oh, that's good. We've got them. Amen. Now let's start the job. Let's start the work of transformation, of molding, of bringing them into being somebody that's going to achieve a destiny that I put in their mind and their heart before the world began. And so to actually 
get to the point of the will of God, our destiny, which we hear so much preaching about. You've got a destiny. Of course, we've all got a destiny. But whether we've got the obedience to get into that destiny, that's another issue. Because most people's destiny, I know hugely talented people, way more successful, intelligent, connected kind of experienced people who are actually not able to get to that point, feeling there's enough resources in themselves without coming to a dependence on God. And so the journey of becoming obedient, Paul found it hard. Even Jesus found it hard. I know that's, that's incredible to think about, but Jesus learned obedience. He was trained to become obedient. So he says in Matthew 26, verse 39, he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. He said, I'm not looking forward to this moment. This is hard. I don't want to go to the cross. He starts confessing scripture. He says, all things are possible to you. You could do it. But faith wasn't going to, pop him out of the will of God. He said, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. So the nevertheless that we put in our life needs to be the one that moves for God. When the spies came back from searching out the land of Canaan, they said, the land is a good land. Nevertheless, there are giants in the land. We can't go in. You got to choose your neverthelesses. Have this one that Jesus said, nevertheless, not as I will, but what you will. Verse 42, again, a second time he went away and prayed. Twice he did this. God, I'm struggling here. This is hard. I can see what's coming. The impending, ominous doom of taking the sins and sicknesses of the entire world. This cup that you put in my hand. And he looked into that cup, friend. He saw all of your sins and my sins. So all the murders, hatreds, the angers, all the unclean stuff, the the blasphemies, the diseases, from leprosies to cancers, all the incurable things, everything, all the demons, all the troubles, all the mental difficulties, emotional difficulties, all the relationship breakdowns, all of the angry words, everything was in that cup. And he knew he had to drink it. He said, God, don't, don't make me do it. I, I don't know if I can do this. Nevertheless, not but what I will, but what you will. So at the end, he took the cup and he drank it all. He took all of what we had done as offenses against God and took it on himself to kill it on the cross and take it away so that you and I could be free. We live on the other side of his obedience, set free for eternal life in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a great praise and worship him. It says in Hebrews 5 verse 8, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. That's hard to believe. He was born with a human nature. And just like you and me, he actually had to learn it. Happily, he did, because there's huge blessing, not just for us, but for millions of people on the other side of our obedience to God. In 1971, Chris and I walked into a church in Christchurch, New Zealand, in a place called Sydenham. It was a little Assembly of God church, which is very old. The youth leader was 120 years old. Amen. 
Maybe not that quite, but they were old people. Culturally, they were on another planet. But when we walked in there, we felt the presence of God. And we said, this feels like home. Mark and Bernadette Kelsey came into our church. First thing they said, this feels like home. There's only 30 people in it. In Oaks Avenue, D.Y. I would hear that virtually every week where people come and say, oh, it's good to be home. It feels like home. We've been away, but we've come back. And this is so good because they know this is where God has placed them and they belong. And it's in the house of God. It's in the church. So in 1971, we met the Lord, had, got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then about a year later, I was made a youth leader and I invited a certain preacher to come and preach in our church. He was a pastor of a great church in Sydney, right here. He came to our meeting, preached, saw the wildfire that was happening there, like hundreds of young hippies. Lots of people getting saved and set free. He said, we need this in Sydney. That was all he said. And boom, an explosion went off on the inside of me. I thought, what's that? That's the call of God. We're called to Sydney. Wow, God, we'll go. Amen. We're called. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, okay, I'm ready. Okay, let's. And then I got this feeling like, not right now. Okay, so I thought, okay. I waited two years and they sent me a letter with an air ticket inside for our family to pack up, move, and go, and, uh, and come here. So I thought, ah, oh, it's God. God's got us. We're, woo, we're, we're up. God bless you, church. Everybody, see you. Said goodbye to the pastor, you know, like they gave us this gift to go away, and, you know, and uh, it was awesome. And so we packed up, went, and I had this, unpe- this piece on the inside of me. I thought, ah, oh, what's that? Who, who needs to acknowledge that. You know, this is God's will. And we landed in Sydney, got in this house. Every morning I'd wake up, swirling confusion on the inside of me. Dispeace everywhere. Feel like I'm not in the will of God. I have missed something here. And I go, God, do you want us in Sydney? I get yes and no. I go, oh God, that's, that's, that's bad. What's yes and no mean? I knew what yes and no meant, but I deliberately clouded it on the inside because I didn't want to hear the second part. The second part was not now. So God, what, you want to get me all excited about going somewhere and then say, not now? That's just, what is that, God? Is that cruel or is that called training? Amen. I think it might have been called training. To hold the excitement, but wait and stay excited. Waiting is to wait a long time for something with a great attitude. You're going to have to wait for exactly the same amount of time with a bad attitude, so I might as well have a good one. But that's hard. That's called patience. It's called length of spirit. What can you cope with? What level of pressure can you take? It's developed in the waiting while a vision tarries. Wait for it. It will surely come. But in the meantime, the waiting for it develops spiritual length. The ability to carry pressure because over the hill is something coming that if you don't get equipped for today, you're not going to handle what is over there tomorrow. When I was in standard six, fourth year of high school, not sure what that is here now, I goofed off all year long because I was kind of a year younger than everybody else for some reason. But I'm goofing off, partying, playing in a band, singing, you know, I've got a girlfriend called Chris, you know, all this sort of stuff. And, and I failed. I had to repeat my year before I could go to university. You know, uh, if we don't do our homework today and don't pass whatever it is today, 
when tomorrow comes, when Goliath turns up tomorrow, if we didn't kill that lion and bear, we're not going to take out the giant. And if we don't take out the giant, when the crown turns up to rule and have influence and have authority, we ain't going to be there. But the bear pulls out a lion killer and the lion killer pulls out a giant killer and the giant killer, the giant pulls out a king inside of you. So there is processes and stages that God is molding and making you through. But the bear isn't just something you kill it with a stone on a day. For some people, it's wrestling with that thing for years. It's a massive difficulty, a massive challenge, and it touches every raw nerve that you've got. And you think, God's going to try us and teach. And then it actually happens. You prayed that prayer, I surrender all. You idiot. You know, because God has these processes that you're going to go through. I pray it still now, God, I surrender all. Because I know that's the call of God, to make Him Lord, not just Savior. Because He can't use me. He can't do anything until He's got that. So I'm waking up for six months. We're getting blessed up at Kissing Point Road, Scout Hall. A lot of people coming to Jesus Christ. Some of those people are in our church even here today. This is 1975. 1975. And so uh, we're up there, and I'm, I'm working in a meat factory cleaning meat down in St. Leonard. Boy, just the worst job on earth. Lost all my fingerprints because of a detergent called Hack. And uh, just raw fingers and spraying meat, fat, blood all over me by the time I got home and clean up. And then we'd go to a meeting and the power of God would be there. I'd go, God, there's so much power. We're getting blessed. How could I have this disbeast? This is so wrong. Finally, I'm in a prayer meeting and this preacher says, somebody here wrestling with a decision. You got to make it to get peace in your heart that you're doing the will of God. I knew this guy. He was one of my heroes, great man of God. I went forward, laid his hands on me. He says, make the choice. I made the choice. We'll go home. I told Chris, we're going back. Everybody around me, prophets, pastors, they said, look at the blessing. What's going on? How can you think that you got to go back? I don't know. I know I'm not in the timing of God right now. We went back. My tail's between my legs. I become a postman. I gave up the ministry. I said, I'll just read the Bible and go to church and pray and, you know, be a Christian. I love you, Lord, but I'm, I'm not cut out for this. I can't do the will of God thing, you know. I don't know what's going on, so I'm delivering mail. About a year later, I get a letter, again, from the same church, saying, look, a year's passed. Surely you must be feeling better about the whole thing by now. Here's another air ticket. Why don't you pack up and come on over? I thought, oh, yeah, of course, that's the will of God. Amen. So I said, okay, baby, we're going. Leased our house out to Simon and Helen McIntyre, amen. And packed up, had our big carton out in the backyard, ready to go, full of everything. I woke up on the morning we were about to leave. We'd said our farewells at the church. They'd given us a painting. See you later, amen. <laughs> I woke up that morning. I had no peace on the inside of me, and I read a scripture. Make sure when he comes that he finds you in peace without spot. I thought, flip, if he comes back right now, the magnet isn't going to work. Amen. I'm just going to be left down here. Everybody else goes up. Four. So I thought, okay, I got to call it off. Oh, I was so, so embarrassing, so terrible. Pastor would not go, oh, you know, church high. One brave soul. I said, look, I'll give the penny back. And they said, oh, it's a welcome home present. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, and I'm so broken, you know. 
But you know, at that point, I could hardly even deliver mail. I felt like somebody had taken a, a thing out of my soul, an axle out of my soul, and gone, snap. And something died on the inside of me. I just, I didn't have any will. I didn't have a, my get up and go. It got up and gone. I was just like flopping around, thinking the only way I can stand up, God, is if you get a hold of both shoulders. I'm a dead man. I got, I'm, I'm useless, you know. That's, that's what I was feeling like. And I identified with that scripture, Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. I felt like me had gone and the, the Christ will had come in. And so into a broken life, I think God can, he can his will doesn't have a fight so much because you died somewhere along the line. But that doesn't matter. It doesn't mean I've never had any other issues. I still struggle, you know, occasionally with God. Not, not as much as that. But you know what happened is about three months later, and I, you know, God just doesn't move fast. I wish he'd move quicker, you know, but he, I'm still out there posting letters, cycling, you know, every day, just feeling pretty miserable. Gone back to painting, didn't sell one painting. Had a sign outside, you know, I couldn't even finish a painting. Couldn't get motivated, very discouraged. And, uh, and then God spoke to me. I, can I could take you to the place today where he spoke to me. I'm going along and boom, into my heart and mind came this start a church in Littleton. Now, if I told any of our budding young church planters today, go start a church in Littleton, that's it. <laughs> You're kidding me. I want a big city, baby, you know. Give me, give me something grand. This had 3,000 people on the other side of a hill who'd never even gone through the tunnel. They were like, it was like Hobbit land. It was, it, the, like this little closed community. And we had 15 people in the church. And I started practicing pastoring on those poor people. The thing didn't grow. It got to about 30 people over three years. But two years after I've been there, this Fijian guy persuaded me I should do a to Fiji with love crusade with him for six weeks, travel around Fiji. And so I said, okay, we sold our Volkswagen. Uh, no, it was F Oh, India. Sorry, India. It was a Fijian who persuaded us to go to India. Yeah. I get so mixed up sometimes. And, uh, and so I... Uh... <laughs> All right. So I am... I'm going... Down to, uh, yeah, well, I, to go to India to, to get to Tamil Nadu, I'm flying through Sydney. I land in Sydney, and the Lord speaks to me as I'm coming in. He says, now's the time to come here. I go, whoa, 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 We're happy. Leave me alone. I don't want to hear anything about this. When I want to go, you don't want me to go. Now I don't want to go, you want me to go. You are not easy to get along with. But I knew that anointing came on me, boom. Every night in India, I, you know, I hardly even knew where I was. Preaching all this is kind of an exotic experience, being in India and amazing, preaching to these huge numbers of people. And, but, but it wasn't capturing me. Every night I'd, go, I'd lie on those bed, beds in these YMCAs and whatever little hostels we had, and the anointing would follow me, and I'd dream a dream about you. I just see this church 
And I see Sydney. My mind was filled with visions. And I was just gone in another place. And I just lie there. And, and then I came back and I said to Chris, after six weeks, I said, hey, babe, I, you know, I got something bad to tell you. <laughs> you know, I, I think the Lord might want us to go to Sydney now. <laughs> I said, I, don't, I understand if you take six months to give me an answer, you know, because I've been so messed up on this thing, you know. But anyway, Chris, you know, kind of said, I, th- I think you're right. Went away and prayed about it. He said, I think you're right. And, um, and so I said, I'm not going to do it in a hurry. I'm going to wait a year. Over that year, about 10 prophecies and people came. Oh, I just felt like God telling me. And so occasionally I'd have moments of doubt. And then you're like, God, you've spoken to me. I'd have to be deaf to not believe that you were in this so finally we landed in Sydney in 1980 in January you know there are there are moments in your life where you wonder what on earth is going on and you're very embarrassed or you're very discouraged or but there's a purpose to your pain and and the fact is the fact is what God has started in you he will complete it There's a person in you that's got a destiny. It's got a high-level purpose. And it might, it it always takes longer than you want it to, and it's more painful than you ever thought you could bear. You just don't want to go through it all. It would have been easier to not even be a believer some days, you're thinking. You're correct, because this life, is he's going to shape you into somebody that can be a vessel full of wine, can pour into a generation and, See people come to Christ. But I know this every day of my life. It's not me. It's the power of God. People say, oh, you got this great vision. I say, oh, I'm just obedient. I, I, he showed me something. I'm trying to do it. I saw a blanket come out of heaven like Peter, and he resisted it. And then he yielded to it. And a whole generation of Gentiles came to Christ. There is a point of challenge for every one of us. And when we use that word volunteer, it is us saying, God, I'm volunteering. I want to serve in your house. It's the only way we discover destiny, through servanthood. And as we do that and start to begin the process of yielding to God and surrendering on an issue, whether it's tithing, if you're still struggling with that, my Lord, you'd be way back. You know, these are just basics. As we go further on with God and make Him Lord of our lives, the supreme monarch, the one whom we're going to obey, that's where the richest life is, the most glorious experience that God has reserved for anybody who will declare he is the Lord, not just of the universe, but of me. And I will do what he says. I delight to do your will, O God. What a tragedy to see a 60, 70-year-old person who's still fighting, resisting on some point when they could have yielded 40 years before and had the, the most incredible life that God had planned for them. But he won't force you. It's your will. Thanks for listening to the Phil Pringle Podcast. Check out philpringle.com to follow Phil's blog and latest resources. Join us next time for more great teaching.